If you haven't read Song of Songs, I remember fondly as a young middle school boy sitting in church with my friends and my friends saying, have you read this book? And we opened it up and we got to read all of these uh, explicit love poems that are right in the Word of God. And I remember us finding that, and then ever, ever since then, whenever we were in Sunday school class, my teacher, our teacher would say, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? And we would say, oh, we have lots of them. And we would share all sorts of Bible verses about uh, basking in the breasts of, the, of our lover and all sorts of wonderful um, compliments throughout. And today, on this glorious Father's Day together, God in his providence has given us the book of Song of Songs to talk about. And as I've been reading this and thinking about this and praying about what in the world am I going to say this week, I have quickly come to a conclusion that uh, we really need God's help today. So would you please pray with me? God, when we stand for the reading of Scripture, we stand because we believe that it is your word that you have given it to us, that these are words that you inspired, that it's your very breath through these authors, God. And Lord, as we continue to think about this full story, Lord, we recognize and believe with all our hearts that all of your word is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Lord, I pray that today as we learn from your word here in Songs of Songs or Songs of Solomon, God, that in this moment you would, you would speak. And Lord, I, I also just love to just frame this time together, God, on this Father's Day, Lord, as we talk about some very charged principles, God. Recognize, God, that there are plenty of wounds in this room, wounds from just it being Father's Day, maybe missing a father, maybe missing a loved one. Maybe wounds from a father who was not a good father, an abusive father. Or wounds from abuse or wounds even, Lord, from as we talk about sexual intimacy and other ways that you have ordained, God, we recognize that sin has abounded here on earth. So we ask for your grace, your tenderness, to continue to speak and move on this Lord's day. Have your way, God, and you're going to pray. Amen. So this morning, I entitled this sermon, The Song of All Songs. I believe that this book here that we're looking at, The Song of Songs, I'm calling it The Song of Songs. A lot of translations will call it The Songs of Solomon. This is, many would say, it's love poems written by Solomon to his bride. And as I, I remember Monday morning, I, we just, usually Monday morning, I'm looking at the text that we're going to be preaching that week, and I was all excited to dig into it, and I opened up, and it opens up, and I'm like, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to sing this song together today? And, and as I started to read different commentaries, I quickly found that this book 
is unlike any other book in the Bible. This is the most debated, probably, and controversial book. I, I read one commentary, and I learned that there's different ways to read the book of Song of Solomon. Some scholars would tell you that this is a story. This is a narrative about a king and his lover. Or it's about a, a woman and her beloved, the shepherd, but there's also a king involved and, and there's this, this interplay. And the book is very hard to understand because in the Hebrew, it doesn't tell you who's talking at which time. You need to figure that out as you read. And so then I thought, okay, I got a great understanding of this book. I found a commentary that I really liked, and I read it, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go check another commentary. And I read another commentary, and basically that commentary said, that commentary is totally wrong. This is more metaphorical and allegorical. And this is meant to be, to, to be a sign or a type of something to come, and this is about God's love for his people. And then I read another one, and I'm, I'm not kidding. There's just so much in God's word for us in this book. I'm reminded of Psalm 1. If you remember, in the very beginning of this series, we looked at Psalm chapter 1, and it talks about the blessed man who meditates on God's word day and night. What I love about God's word, as we learn and, and delve into books like the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, is there is an abundance to meditate on. So much to grow in, and I pray today we get a taste of something really wonderful from this beautiful, provocative book. And so as we looked at this, and I've been thinking about this, I'd like to talk about in this book, we're gonna kinda do a bit of an overview of the whole book. And I think to me as I, as I read this and think about the song of all songs, there's three themes in this song that we see the, the, the beloved and the shepherd king singing over one another. And the first is this, is a song of longing. It's a song of longing. Look at, if you're in your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Songs of Songs. It's, uh, in the ESV, it's called Songs of Solomon. And we see right off the bat in this love story between a lover and her beloved. Look at this language, it says here, this opens up, says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, verse two, she says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Something going on here. We see right off the bat that there is this woman longing for her lover. And the longing here is an intimate, physical longing. If you look in, your, in, in this verse, the, the, the word love here is a word in Hebrew called dod, D-O-D, that's how you would pronounce it. And this word, as it's translated, is literally to caress and care for. And we see in this language, as she's thinking about her lover, she's longing for him to kiss with the kisses of his mouth. This isn't just like a peck on the cheek. This is like full-on making-out kiss. Uh, now, I'm just reading God's word here, okay? 
And he's reading, she's longing for this intimacy here. And we see right off the bat, we're like, whoa, what's going on here? And I think sometimes as we read this, there's a problem in the Western world as we look at this and we see this longing right after the bat, right off the bat of these two lovers in this story, is that we have a very twisted understanding of love. You see, in Hebrew and even in Greek, there's all sorts of different words used for love. But for us, we would say, uh, when we say love, I could say, I love hamburgers. I love my dog. I love chocolate. I love the San Francisco Giants. First place, San Francisco Giants. And I love my wife. Now, we all know those are different kinds of love. And in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there's all sorts of different words for love that help us to understand what is this love that we're talking about. So we already learned about the love, the dode here, of this intimate love. But when we think about this longing that this woman has for her lover, we think that this is separated from other sorts of love. There's another love called a ahava love. And this is what we would call a love of the will. It's a love that, if you've ever been to a marriage ceremony and you say, till death do us part, it's a committed love to say, even when things are hard, we will commit. Some would say it's a betrothed love. It's a love that is promised to one another. And you're going to see, actually, whenever you read in the book of Songs of Songs, if you've been reading it, uh, in the NIV, I, I believe she says, my darling, or in the ESV, it's my love. That is the word ahava. And so we see that there's, in this relationship, there's, we, right off the bat, there's this intimate longing for this, this, this intimacy, this, this connection, but we're also going to see that there's also this, this willful love of I'm going to love you even when those feelings aren't there. There's also another word for love, raya. And this word we see is, is about deep friendship and companionship. And throughout this poem, you're gonna see these three words for love. And it seems to me as we learn and grow in this love is we miss this and we think that, that the love starts with the dode. It starts with, with this intimacy and far too long so much of the relationships that we're in are all about this intimacy, all about this sexual connection and we don't start where you're supposed to start which has to do with building a companionship and a friendship and a commitment to each other. And here in the Song of Songs, it's growing out of a betrothed relationship. As you follow along and if you're gonna be studying this, you're going to find that it leads to a wedding day. That there's, that there's longing for this intimacy, but you, it beautifully uh, ne never tells you that there's actual sexual intercourse happening. There's a true longing to be touched, to be loved, to be kissed. But this has grown out of a deep friendship. And as we read this, we recognize that in the Hebrew Bible, this would echo all the way back to a garden. 
as we think about how we're created as male and female, we would be reminded in Genesis chapter two when God created man and woman that we were created to be in these loving relationships. Look at what it says in chapter two, verse 18. If you remember the story, God created Adam and then he gave him all of of these animals to name and he's naming them and and in the creation narrative it says it is good and it is good and it is good and it is good. And then the Lord God said it is not good. The first time we find something that is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now when we use the word helper, this is not about a subservient, less than language. This is about a coming alongside, co-laboring together language of a man and a woman together in this relationship. And we see that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And then we learn here that all of us have a deep longing to be known a deep longing to be known. As a matter of fact, in the scriptures, in the next chapter, when it talks about Adam and Eve having sexual relations, it says that, and Adam knew her. And so, so much of intimacy is more than a physical, biological connection. It is about intimately knowing somebody. And in our Western society, we've gotten things out of order. We just get our phones out and we just, you know, swipe left, swipe right, get the right connection. And as long as we have those chemical bonds, that's what we're after. And we neglect the true calling to be known. And we learn back in the garden that we all want to be known. And not just physically, sexually known, that's a part of it, but it's not all of it. It's truly about wanting to be known, it's truly about walking and talking with Yahweh. So we see this in the garden, it's a song of longing. But I would be remiss if I didn't also say this, it's also a song of delighting. It's a song of delighting. As you read through it, you will see that there is a delighting going on between these two lovers. And it's explicit. And it actually culminates in the very center of the book. It's written in a poetic form where there's this, if you, if you read all the lines right in the middle, it culminates on the wedding day in chapter five. And I want to read about this delighting that, is call, that, the, that this couple is called to. It says this. In Song of Solomon chapter four, verse 16, it says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Garden is a language for the woman's body in this language, in this story. Now remember, I'm just reading God's word here, okay? We're just reading God's word together. It's for us. It says, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. And then he responds, I came to my garden, 
my sister, my bride. Now, this might be a little, what the, my sister. This is language, this is a, a language of this deep companionship, friendship here. And we miss this in the ancient language. This is not an actual like biological sister. They're talking about there's this, this is a darling. This is, this, is, this is somebody that he knows intimately. Who has a person, who has, who has ways about her. And he says, I, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And then everybody responds, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Delighting. The song is not just of longing, it's of this delighting. And I think sometimes in church, in Christianity, we have a hard time with these verses. Sometimes we get so focused on all the things that we're not to do, right? We get so focused on all the things that we're not to do that we forget that God created sex for us as a gift. And it was created for us to delight in, in the context of a covenant relationship, in the context of commitment and betrothal context of marriage but hear this it's meant to be something that you delight in can i get an amen yeah and so we see the longing and the delighting and this also reminds us back to genesis chapter 2 As I've been reading this and studying this, I just feel like there's so much garden language in here because the author knew the the, the Hebrew scriptures. And he's, he's, he's calling out this longing from our very beginning in this language, and it's beautiful. Look at what happens in chapter two, verse 23. It's going back to the garden when Adam, Adam discovers Eve. It says, the man said, this is, and this is like a song. It's like he breaks out in song. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. This is the delighting. And they shall become one flesh. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked, were not ashamed. A delighting. And we see this in our original design of this longing to be known and this longing to delight in our beloved. And so we see in this song of all songs, there's a longing and there's a delighting. Yet there's also a bit of a mystery to this. Because in this song, if you've been reading through it, there's also, it's also a song of searching. It's like as you read it, there's these cycles of this conversation between these lovers and they say, hey, come, let's, let, let's enjoy each other and then they can't find each other. 
It's, it's like they've, they've started to wander off or they started to wonder about other things and there's this tension in the book uh, in, as you read this of like they need to get together. There's this wandering and this wondering and we see this here in chapter five, verse six. This is after the wedding day. And the woman says, I opened to my beloved but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And it, you see here that even in this song, there's a tension of this longing to be together, but also this drifting apart. You've been married for a while. You may relate to this. If maybe you thought, oh man, I, I, I can get married and then I'm just gonna spend the rest of my days delighting <laughs> and, 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 and just getting all this longing fulfilled in me and then you're a year, two years in and you're thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Where's the delighting? I'm experiencing much different emotions and experiences with my spouse. We seem to have wandered, maybe even wondered about others. We find ourselves oftentimes in these painful moments. And even that reminds us back to a garden. It reminds us back to Genesis chapter three, verse 16. You know that men and women, were, Adam and Eve, were, were put in a garden, in a perfect garden. They were told not to do one thing, too. And look at the language here, not to eat of the fruit. And there's this interaction between the woman and the serpent. It says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your, I'm sorry, this is the curse on them because of their disobedience. And you see it says the curse because of the disobedience of man and, and woman, Adam and Eve. It says, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And look at this part right here. It says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. This is a curse. It's not how it should be. So there's this tension here. And in the book of Genesis, as, as Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden, there's this longing to come back to the garden where there's not this wrongful desire. And you actually see in the next narrative, in Cain and Abel, the same exact situation with Cain. This word for desire, it says this, if you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain is jealous of his brother Abel and he, and, and, and he is thinking about killing his brother and there's this, it says this in Genesis chapter four, verse seven, God is speaking to Cain, he says, it will do you well, will you not to be accepted? And if you do not do well, it says that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There's this same exact language of desire in Cain, and we know that he allows sin to rule over him, and this starts the spiral, and the continued spiral throughout the story of the wandering and the wondering. And for many of us, we can relate deeply to this. Yes, there is a longing in us for this kind of relationship. Yes, there is a delighting peace to it, but there's also 
a searching to it. Or for maybe some, a searching for that person that you have not found yet. And as we read this, perhaps there's wounds that come up from this. Wounds that others have poured out on you or that you have had from your past. As we read this and think about this beautiful song, we ask ourselves, how does my story relate to this story? How do I fit into this ancient love poetry? It's gotta be for us. Where do I fit into all this poetic, semi-erotic love? And as we ask these questions, I, I, I think I should wanna break this down into really three sections. First, maybe you're here and you're not married. I think there's a word for you. Maybe you're single or you're dating. The word for you is tend to your friendships and guard the garden. Tend to your friendships and guard the garden. There's so much in this book that's about an intimate relationship about developing companionship, friendship. And in our dating and in even our just our friendships, this must be the start, this raya kind of love of developing deep friendships. But also, in this passage, if you, if you read through this, you're gonna see that the, the woman in this passage has been guarding her garden. At one point in chapter eight, she's having this interaction with her brothers. And they talk about how she's not developed enough yet and that if she has a wall, in chapter eight it says, we will build on her a battlement of silver, but if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. We wanna protect her. Remember, the garden imagery has to do with her body. And she says, I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. In other words, I, I was developed and, and ready. Then I was in his, in his eyes as one who finds peace. She saved, guarded her garden until marriage. And in today's day and age, in our society, here in the church, this is so foreign. This is so uncomfortable for us, yet there's something beautiful here. And I would implore you, beloved, in your relationships, to start with a focus on deep friendship and intimacy. And to guard against falling in to ways that are out of the order that the Lord has given us and to long for the betrothed relationship. And I understand this is countercultural. I understand that everything in me says that this is, goes against the ways of the world, and I understand that many of us, if not most of us, have fallen in this regard. If there seems to be something beautiful in here, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. 
for everything you do flows from it. And it's not guarding, it's like tending. I didn't think of the right word here. There needs to be this peace here. We need to have honest conversations about this. I think one of the reasons why the Lord has given us such an explicit book is to know that we should talk about these things. We should have conversations about our struggles in these deep friendships. We should confess our struggles and, and, and turn from our struggles and bear this together in love. Second, to the marrieds, to those who are married. As you think about a garden, I would say, tend to your beloved and delight in the garden. Not a single amen. Man, I'll amen myself. I would encourage you to read through Songs of Solomon and, and see the way that there is a tending going on in this relationship. Early on, the beloved, she confesses that she has some insecurities about her skin. And over and over and over again, the beloved, the husband, compliments and overwhelms her with his love. But it's thoughtful. It's intentional. And I think sometimes in relationships we forget that we must tend to them. We must grow in them. It's not just like you, you say, I do, I do, and then all of a sudden, like, bam, we're in. We have to work and tend gardens, correct? So we must tend to the garden. And it seems to me that this is that beautiful, passionate part that we're called to that Jason read to us, and it leads to this tending. If you can look at, at verse six of chapter eight. This language of tending about love. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. This is a personal relationship between the husband and the wife. A seal, a deep personal connection for love, and this love here is ahava, this is not the love of dod, this is love of the will. This is the love of I choose to, to love you. For love is strong as death. Jealousy, or the word here is passion, is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. And then it says the very flame of the Lord. In other words, this love is from the Lord, sourced in the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Love is personal, protective, is passionate, is priceless. And in this song, we're called to tend to the garden. Now, with that said, I wanna have a little caveat. This does not 
give license to demand. It does not give license to say, well, you're my spouse, my husband, my wife, and therefore you must tend to the garden with me. That is foolish and stupid and is also ungodly. In this book, we see a relationship, a gentleness, and we see the husband treating the wife as a princess, as a child of the king. So we must be sure that when we talk about this that we don't twist it into something that is wrong. And also, maybe don't use the exact words from Song of Songs in the way that you tend the garden. It's a little bit of an ancient language, but you may not wanna say things like, your hair is like a flock of goats. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes. Or at one point, I think it says, your rounded thighs are like jewels. Your navel is a rounded bowl. Don't, I don't, I don't look at me, that's not a good idea. Your belly is a heap of wheat, okay? So, so we see here in this language that this is an ancient language, but there's also things that we can learn from, right? But in this point, I think it's really important here to understand that this book ends with a bit of a tension. The whole time there's this longing, and then there's this delighting, and then there's this searching. And it's going on and on, there's this, there's this cycle of longing, delighting, searching, and there's never quite, they never quite get there. And at the very end of the book, it ends with them looking for each other. The husband says to the beloved, he says, you're in the garden with these companions, come to me. And she says, make haste, come to me. And the song ends abruptly because it's longing for, the, for more. One of the commentators said, the song intentionally ends abruptly and inconclusively because the song is not done. Love is not done. God is not done with his great love song and love story. Because we know that this goes back to a garden. And ultimately, that longing that we have to be known is sourced in our longing to be walking with God in relationship with him. And as we follow this story, I would like to redirect you to the book of John chapter 20. There was a woman named Mary who her, her, her savior, Jesus, had just died. And she was in a place of utter anguish and pain. So she went to see him at his grave. You remember this story? And it says that she happened upon someone in a, a garden, and he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, you've carried him away. Tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, 
He said to her her name. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. She was restored back in to this relationship. And as we think about this longing in us, as we think about the wounds and the pain and, and, and the searching and, and in our relationships or lack thereof or whatever's going on in you, hear this, in this story, we are all the unfaithful. We all wander, we all mess up, we all at times have wondered. We have fallen into sin in our relationships in this world. We know in the story, this is our story, and we are the unfaithful. There's a whole book about this in Hosea. And so to the unfaithful in this story, as we read the book of Songs of Songs, hear this, Jesus tends to you. He is the gardener. Jesus tends to you. He is the gardener. Can you see what is happening here? Remember, in the early in the garden in Genesis chapter two and three, and the curse was that her desire would be for him and it would be controlled. And then we saw sin and its desire. You know, that word for desire is used three times in Scripture. In Genesis 2, in Genesis 3, and then one time in the book of Songs of Songs. And look at what has happened. You see a longing of something different in chapter 7, verse 10. It declares this, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. You see the taste of God's desire for you. As we live in this and live with the longing and the delighting and the searching, and there's just a whole tension to this, it's important that we think about the full story. And we started in Genesis, and we know that the author of Songs of Solomon is calling out of Genesis, out of this garden language, calling us back into a garden. But if you could, go to the end of your Bible and look at the last pages, the last verses. In Revelation chapter 22, this is an oracle for us. In verse 17, says this, the spirit and the bride say, look at this language, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price come. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, amen. In the longing, in the searching, we find in the song, the song of all songs, our fulfillment and perfection in Christ, our beloved. And it's here in his presence, in Christ alone, and we long for his return when all will be made right and we will be back in the garden. Amen? So as we read this song, 
as we sing this song, as we find ourselves in these places of searching and longing, I would encourage you, this is not just like, I remember someone telling me, you know what, Logan, don't read that book until you're married. I think we should all read this book. I think we should all see the passion. I remember Wes's sermon, he talked about in Ecclesiastes about how the negativity is not a bug but a feature. I think that applies to here too. The passion, the love, the, the, the raya, friendship, companionship, the ahava, the will to love, the dod, this, this, this great passion is ultimately seen in God's love for you and I, in the son's love for you, that he would, make it, would dwell among us, live a perfect life, die on a cross for my sins, for my wanderings, for my wounds, for my sins, so that I could be righteous. And far too often on days like this when we read this, we end kind of feeling like, man, I've really messed things up. I really haven't followed the ways. But that's where we are, receiving grace. Just like in this book, it ends with a searching and a longing. We are meant to be continuing to be a people that are about the grace of God and to let that continue, the good news of the gospel, continue to flow into everything and to be a people who strive after his ways in Christ. Amen? So as you think about this on this Father's Day, I encourage you to ask yourself, Take some inventory, reflect on these truths. And tend to the garden with your gardener, Jesus Christ, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. God, I confess, I feel like I'm just beginning to get a small taste of what you have for us in this little book. But Lord, I'm so thankful that we get the rest of our lives of all eternity to reflect on these truths. And that this is a taste of your love for us. And Lord, in this moment, I just wanna take a minute to pray. Lord, in this moment, for some of us here, we may find ourselves in marriages that have gone a little sideways. We may find ourselves in marriages where we just haven't tended to the garden. We've been ships in the night. We haven't pursued friendship and companionship or, or even the wounds and the pain from, from intimacy, from, from the past scars. And, and God, I, I just pray, God, that you, the good gardener, would do your work that your grace would be sufficient, that we would not be ashamed of that, that we would give that to you, and Lord, that you would do a work in the marriages represented here online and in this room. And Lord, I pray for those in our, in our church family that are single, that are longing for relationships, that are longing for this, God, but are not yet there. Lord, I pray that they would ultimately find their fulfillment to that longing in you. 
that they would know that that longing ultimately is not gonna ever be fulfilled in anybody but you. That our identity is not about who we're with. It's about who you say we are. So Lord, I pray for them in this moment. Oftentimes that's a lonely space. I pray that the church would continue to be a place where they know that they are valued, that they have dignity, that they have purpose, and that they have power in who they are. And Lord, I pray for the wounds. I pray for those who are coming out of fractured relationships, God. I pray, Lord, for those that are, that, that just for all of us that have different struggles, God. Perhaps it's an addiction to, to pornography, an addiction to other things that, that, that cause us to, to to, to stray from your ways, God. I pray that you would speak into that, that you, the good gardener, would do your work. And God, above all, on this Father's Day, we just want to declare how thankful we are that we have a Father who has a deep love for us. That we have a Father who has forgiven us, who's poured out his grace upon us. And so, Lord, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we pray, God, that you would continue to let us be a people who have that fear of you. So, God, in this moment, as we continue to sing, God, I just don't want to miss the chance with this full room for us to sing of your love. For us to sing of how deep the Father's love is for us. And for us as we sing that, that we would just give you any sort of tension, any sort of struggles, any sort of pain, that we would just give that to the good Father as Mike prayed. The good Father who runs to the prodigal, reaches out his son and kisses him. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who live in that love. Oh, Lord, may we continue to be in the garden of your love. In your name we pray, amen.